You are Locked On Pacers, your daily Indiana Pacers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome in to another edition of the Locked On Pacers podcast, where we, of course, talk about the Indiana Pacers. As always, I am one of the hosts of the show, Tony East, covering the team for Forbes and the West Indianapolis Community News and the Fieldhouse. And today, oh, hope you enjoyed the new intro. Today, we are going to talk about tonight's game against the Portland Trailblazers, which will be much different than the Pacers' last game against the Portland Trailblazers because Damian Lillard is not going to play. And I also want to talk about Jakar Sampson. I uh, really, really enjoyed watching him on Tuesday against Charlotte. I mean, every time he plays, I enjoy watching him, but... That game specifically highlighted a lot of the stuff that I really enjoy about Jakar. And I got some fun. Uh, I'm not going to put it in here. I'll just summarize it. But I got some fun. I got to talk to him and Justin Holiday about him. So I want to talk about that and what he can kind of contribute. And I want to talk about the standings because I'm going to be obsessing about the standings like a weirdo for the rest of the season as the Pacers push for the 14. And some things are breaking their way, which is always exciting. Uh, breaking the Pacers way, that is. Uh, but let's start with the Trailblazers. Uh, the Blazers without Dame are a totally different team. That I mean, that's obvious. Um, but he just t- totally torched the Pacers, if you'll remember, back in January. What did he end up with, like 40, 50 points in that game? Uh, the Pacers scored a 129, which is like one of their best totals of the entire season. He has 50, I was like it. Uh, and they still could not pull it out because Dame just was ridiculous, couldn't miss a thing. And CJ was good too. He had 28. They got good play from Whiteside. Whiteside against Turner, he's always fantastic in that matchup. But it doesn't matter what matchups you're good or bad in if Dame's getting an efficient 50 and 13 assists. Like, it just doesn't matter. So that's why they lost in Portland, right? They played pretty well otherwise. Well, with Lillard out, things are a lot different. And we weren't sure when we talked about the Blazers on our week preview on Sunday show. But it's officially, um, not officially necessarily, but it's most likely that he's out. Uh, I've seen reporting from a few Blazers guys that he's out. So uh, I am almost 100% sure he's not going to play in this game. And I'd I'd go far as to say like 99.9%. So that helps the Pacers a ton. Uh, That really changes what the Blazers are, right? Their last game, they played Boston at home. They lost that one um, by 12. Their starting five in that game was Gary Trent. Carmelo, Hassan Whiteside, CJ McCollum, and Trevor Ariza. Um, they really lose a lot in the, in the loss of Dame because they were already a pretty shallow team, right? They've had Nurkic out for the season. Um, they kind of had to shuffle the, the deck chairs in a Baysmore trade to get a little bit different looks out because they don't have a ton of depth on this roster. So their bench outside of the five guys I just named, I mean, how many of you listeners even know who Gary Trent is, right? He's, I think, in his second year, but I know he's a second-round pick. He's already... You know, being called on for these situations. Their bench was Anferny Simons, who they picked in the first round last year. Mario Hezonia, Nasir Little, who they picked in the first round this year. Caleb Swan, again, who got picked in the first round a few years ago. And Wenyan Gabriel. So, a lot of young, unproven guys in that second unit that they that they played against Boston. Uh, and that group, collectively, it looks like 14, 16, 18, 19 shots. They made seven. So, not very good second unit play from them. They, got, they played Mello, Hassan, Whiteside, McCollum, and Ariza a ton of minutes because they just need it. They, they need all those guys to do well, especially in the absence of Dame if they want a prayer of winning games. And the Blazers are chasing the eighth seed in the West. I mean, they were in the conference finals last year. And sure, they had trouble keeping a lot of the guys to help them get there. But 
they you know they're they're going to gun for the playoffs as long as possible. Even with Dame out, they have to try. So they're going to be very very heavily relying on C.J. McCollum and Hassan Whiteside and Carmelo and those starters in this game against the Pacers because their bench is really weak. They got you know they kind of they just shuffled guys around to to try to improve their bench and. It didn't super work. I think the Kings got the better end of that trade, and now they're kind of stuck with with Dame out specifically. So a lot of this game is going to be uh, trying to shut down C.J. McCollum. He had tw- as a secondary guy, and this happens to the Pacers kind of a lot because of the way they defend. They're they're really not overzealous in shutting down lead ball handlers, but they they lead they leave second and tertiary guys open a tiny bit more than other teams. But they're pretty good at rotations, which is why you know their defense is good every year. But they, you know, everybody jokes about oh, the random fourth or fifth guy is always killing the Pacers. Well, it's kind of schematic, um, and McCollum is a great beneficiary of those kind of schemes because he is a master of in the scramble or in the help D. He recognizes it early and shuffles his his feet just six inches or or a foot to the side so that when he gets the ball, he has just a tiny bit of an advantage and he takes advantage of it. In uh, his twenty eight on on just twenty one shots. Uh, with no free throws, very impressive. The last time these guys matched up, Lamb was not able to stay with him, and Lamb is is pretty prone to giving up drives. But um, I mean, as much as we love Aaron Holiday and his effort on D on this show, uh, I don't think C.J. McCollum will have any trouble skating around him if that is who his matchup is. Oladipo could be a better matchup there, um, but either way, whoever's on him is gonna have to do a ton of work to try to, to shut him down. Uh, the difference being, though, is that he won't be that secondary option anymore. He will now be the primary guy. Uh, and the last time these guys played, no Brogdon, no Oladipo. Where this time there could be both. There will for sure be Brogdon. So TJ Warren was guarding Lillard. I mean, that matchup is going to be drastically different. They're not going to put Warren on McCollum. I'm guessing it'll be Brogdon. But anyway, um, all that to say they have the options. I'm guessing... E- I'm guessing Brogdon contains him, and then because they've liked Vic Moore off ball as he kind of recovers, uh, and Brogdon for all of his defensive uh, flaws he's had this season and not been as good as as advertised necessarily, is a better defender than T.J. Warren and is a better defender than Jeremy Lamb. So that is a start, and he's just going to have to do his best to keep him in front. McCollum is pretty shifty at getting to his spot, so Brogdon's going to have to be on his A game in this one. All the other guys. Um, well, I guess Melo is, is kind of a specialist at getting his own shot up in his own way. It's not like he's going to just blow by you or anything like that. He's got a variety of moves to get to get his shots up, but they won't be things that put pressure on Miles Turner or anything like that. He'll, he'll pull up from his spots. He had 14 on 12 shots, which is kind of you can live with that as a defense. Um, but other than those two guys, they have no one who can create their own shot efficiently. And that is why I think the Pacers might go a little bit swinging the pendulum towards just selling out to contain CJ because unless Mello or unless the Blazers are just canning threes or Mello is having some awesome night, they don't have enough weapons or offensive talent to really put together a hugely strong offensive game plan to score a ton of points and win. And the Pacers D looked all, I mean, the Hornets are good, terrible, terrible team, but the Pacers D looked a lot better in that game. Um, Portland hasn't hit 110 in their last two games without Lillard. They've been struggling to to get the best offense ever. It's not been bad. It's been okay, but it's been, it's definitely been different in an uphill battle for them. And I think the Pacers are capable of, of limiting them again. So I'm looking forward to seeing how they try to contain C.J. McCollum because I think, I mean, obviously containing the other team's best player is a key to winning, but it's different for a guy that isn't normally the number one option. He has to do a little bit more in the passing department uh, than he's used to doing. Uh, he has to rely on his teammates more because he's seeing more coverages. 
uh, in the ways of, of more defenders. Uh, in their last game, he had 10 assists, right? So he's, he's capable of doing it. He, the Pacers have to be mindful of that, but I think they're going to try to slow him down. The Celtics were not able to do so. He had 28-10 and 10 in that game. Whiteside cleaned up with 19 rebounds, and they were able to not get totally destroyed. But I think if they're able, if the Pacers are able to, you know, Brogdon specifically is able to keep him in front as much as possible, uh, the Pacers should have no problem because I don't think anyone else on this Blazers team is instilling fear in anyone on the Pacers. Uh, on the flip side, this is one of the longer game pre- previews I've ever done. On the flip side... The, the Blazers' D is, is very okay. Um, 27th in the league is, of course, terrible if you look at just their defensive rating. But Whiteside is just a killer against the Pacers. He's averaging a ton of blocks. He deters guys from the paint. And what helped the Pacers a lot against the Hornets is they were driving more. They were getting inside. They were making the defense break down. And then they were finding shooters or finding advantages to 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 take that first drive and turn it into more drives or more cuts. They're going to have to do that again, but Whitehead's going to make that a little harder. So maybe hit your first couple three so he steps out farther would be huge. Or just keep just keep attacking him, you know, get him in foul trouble. But um, it's going to be a little harder for the Pacers to just destroy him. So it's imperative that whoever Whitehead is guarding, whether that be Sabonis or Turner, either is uh, is willing to shoot if it's Turner and uh, from anywhere, that be the elbows or behind the line, or is willing to put it on the floor and take it at him if that's Sabonis. So we'll see how it goes. I think without Lillard, the Pacers have a pretty good shot. They looked pretty dang good the first time they played this team, and Lillard just was like to, unstoppable to the degree of you literally cannot beat the Blazers when he's playing that good. So looking forward to this game, but I think the Pacers could win and uh, put together their first two-game win streak since actually not even that road trip. Before that road trip, right, where they played Portland the first time, I think they won in Denver. That was their two-game win streak, and then they went loss, win, loss, win, and then Vic came back, and then it's all we've all known. Oh, actually, I guess if you count before and after the All-Star break, they won two in a row. But it doesn't feel like it when they had 10 days off. So it'll be nice. They'll win in consecutive games that aren't 10 days apart. Um, But speaking of winning two in a row, that will change their spot in the standings. And I know I just talked about the standings right after the All-Star break, but I'm going to do it again because, shockingly, a lot has changed since then. So when I did this the, the after the All-Star break, I was basically talking about the Pacers pushing for four, and once they know they can't get it, sitting at six. And I'm going to rehash that, first of all, because Joe Beckman on Twitter uh, decided to, to reinvigorate my feelings on the subject, but also because there's been kind of a substantial shift in how that looks already. It's only been a week, and not even a week, and that are eh, a week, and it's already looking a lot different. So here's the first reason it's looking different. The Heat have just forgotten how to win uh, over their week since the All-Star break. So they lost uh, about an hour before I started recording to the Timberwolves uh, at home, actually, 126-129. Two nights ago, they lost to the Cavs. Two, uh, right after the break, they lost to the Hawks. So they have lost three or four since the break. Their only win coming against the Cavs. They've actually played the Cavs twice. They've played Hawks, Cavs, Cavs, Timberwolves since the break and have gone one and three. So that... Even if they play exactly how they would have from the break onward, from from excuse me, even if they even if they win their percentage of games they've won all season for the rest of the way, that bad of a stretch against bad teams does decrease or does you know help the Pacers' margin for error. And now they're only two games behind them right now. Uh, and if the if the Pacers play the Cavs and Blazers, little of those Blazers at home this week, you know they could make that up quicker than quicker than you think. So the the Heat. Dropping these games, again, even if they round back into form immediately in their next game, puts them within striking distance in a way that I didn't think would happen the whole rest of the way. I mean, if you look, the Pacers were three back at the break, 
and the Heat came out with that schedule. It looked like they were gonna, the Heat were going to be five games ahead within a week. Instead, they they drop it, and they have the Mavs coming up, the Bucks coming up, the Pelicans are on fire coming up. The they have the Bucks again. I mean, they have some easy games in there, but the Heat could uh, the Heat could uh, the, in their next eight reasonably go five and three, and the Pacers could keep pace with that. And then they play each other. So <laughs> if the Pacers can do moderately well, they could keep pace with the Heat. And the other team that I talked about in, in the standings watch uh, in the chase for fourth is Philly, who's the fifth seed right now. They are 1.5 games ahead of the Pacers, although I don't know that they're – yeah, it doesn't look like their game that they had today is in here. They lost to the Cleveland Cavaliers about an hour and a half before um, recording here. So they're actually only a game ahead of the Pacers at 36-24. and 24. Uh, and they are tied in the loss column. The Pacers have just played two less games. So in theory, the Pacers control their own destiny to get to five because they own that tiebreaker right now. Um, the Sixers, since the All-Star break, have lost to the Bucks, gone to overtime to beat the Nets. I mean, that loss could have been huge for the Pacers. Beating the Hawks, uh, lost to the Bucks, beat the Nets, and then they just lost to the Cavs. Um, so they're not looking too good. But also since the All-Star break, Ben Simmons sat out against the Nets with a back injury, played against the Bucks, and then immediately aggravated it at the beginning of the game. He's out at, at he's being reevaluated in two weeks. He could be out for longer. And then Joel Embiid injured his shoulder in this Cavs game. So the Sixers might go on a tough stretch of losses here. Oh, by the way, they have their Western Conference road trip coming up. So they have the Knicks tonight, as you're listening, on a back-to-back at home. Uh, and it's very unlikely they don't have Embiid or Simmons. So, I mean, they should still win, but... That's not an easy game on a back-to-back without your two stars. And then they have Clippers on the road, Lakers on the road, Kings on the road, Warriors on the road. They could win one of their next five pretty conceivably, especially because Steph's going to be back for that Warriors game. So they're pretty catchable right now. All that to say, the fourth seed is not unreasonable anymore if the Pacers can put together any semblance of good play. Obviously, we still don't have enough to prove that they're totally out of that six-game losing streak rut, right? They beat the Hornets and the Knicks for Pete's sakes. Those two teams stink, and they got just, just just dismantled by the Raptors. If they can put together quality wins over Portland and the Cavs, we'll probably put that bad, assume that bad stretch is mostly behind them, even if the Blazers and Cavs aren't good. I mean, being 4-1 and one is, is better than they were when they lost six in a row. But they're within striking distance of, of the two teams ahead of them. And another reason that's important. So, Joe Beckman, I'm back to you and what you, he said on Twitter. He was talking about being the sixth seed versus being the five seed. So the preface here is, yes, the sixth seed in a vacuum is better. The Milwaukee-less bracket is better if two things are assumed. One is that you think this team can get to the conference finals, which is possible. At their best, they've been pretty dang good. Uh, and Victor Oladipo clearly hasn't hit his full stride with the team. They've never been at full health. Um, so that's certainly possible. And two is that you assume any team, two through five, or three through five, I guess, um, because we're talking about the six seed at worst, not seven. But any team that's not Milwaukee or Toronto, you think the Pacers have the same chance of beating them in a series. And if you think both of those things are true, then yeah, you probably do want the six seed instead of the five seed because then you think you're playing, no matter what, you're playing the same quality of opponent that you think you have the same chance of beating in the first round. And then if you do win that series, you don't play the Bucks in the second round. I totally understand that. I'm all for that theory. I'm I'm probably pro six seed. Um unless they're playing the Sixers in the first round in general. But I don't know, man. I don't. I think the Heat, seeing these losses, are, are not good enough, or maybe not right now. I think the Heat are falling enough in my graces that I think you might try to push for that or even 
push to get the four if they keep losing. I mean, obviously you want the four over five or six. Hosting a series is just fantastic. Um, it'd be huge for the team to do so. They've been really good at home. And Miami and Philly have not been good on the road uh, if you play one of those teams. I think the Heat are falling in my own personal graces enough that you really push for, for five if, if you can play them for sure. Um, I think, And I also think this is true. I think if you get swept by Milwaukee in the second round, is that is a better end-of-your-season result than losing to, in any amount of games in the first round, even seven. So... I don't think it's – the reason I'm, I'm talking about this again is because Joe called it a disaster. Joe, sorry to put you on blast today. You say a lot of smarter things than this one to me. But I think you can go for the five if you're playing the team that you want in the first round. And I think they match up pretty poorly with Boston. And I thought higher of their matchup with Toronto earlier in the season than I do now after seeing them play three times in the month. I think uh, – and I think they're a horrible matchup for Philly. So I think Miami's the team they would want of those three. Uh, so getting to five could be good for that. And obviously they'll push for four. But yeah, I totally understand the 6-5 thing. So that's going to be an interesting debate the rest of the season. And I won't really know where I want them to finish uh, in terms of winning games until later in the year because it's going to take a lot of sorting out between the rest of the standings to see, okay, this team's for sure going to finish here. So the Pacers should finagle for this or that. I mean, Milwaukee's obviously going to be one. So the 6-5 debate will be the same the rest of the way. But we'll see what happens. Uh, I know that... Amongst Magic and Nets fans, the debate has already been, well, not the debate, I guess, the the disc- the push for the uh, Mighty 7 seed to play Toronto instead of Milwaukee is already going on because the Magic always steal one game in the first round uh, if they're not playing the Bucks, I think they could do that. But anyway, that'll be fun to watch, and I think standings watch got more interesting. I did not think it would get more interesting than it was at the break, personally. I just wanted to talk about it, but it already is, so now we're going to have to keep doing it maybe weekly. Um... I might. Tr- I don't want to make do it again in three shows with Adam on Monday, but it would be good to line it up with talking with him. So we'll see if that would be a good time to do it or not. Uh, we'll find out. But let's uh, let's talk about your car, Samson, a little bit before we get you guys out of here. So uh, stick around. That was the worst transition I've ever done from one thing to the next. Um, but I just really wanted to talk about your car. I don't know if he's had his own segment ever on the show this season. I think I've I've gotten Ed for sure. I I always tried it to focus on. Some of the end of roster guys when I get a chance, but I don't know that I've ever had a solo Jakar segment. He's only played in 20 games. Uh, I understand why he falls to the back of our brains when we talk about the Pacers a lot, but something that we did talk about recently was the trade deadline and force who can play in space and guys who could potentially play Goga's playoff minutes and all this stuff. Can this not be Jakar for five minutes a game in the playoffs? And I know that sounds facetious. This guy signed for the minimum on August 1st for Pete's sake. He was a free agent for a month and got the minimum. How good can he be? And I understand that. And it's so random to me that that I'm really into his game. But I think Jakar is legitimately useful NBA player because he just scraps and is mega aggressive. And he's all about these game-changing plays. And So, again, a lot of caveats. They played the Hornets. The Hornets didn't play Devontae Graham. The Hornets stink. Blah, blah, blah. Jakar played a ton in that game because Lamb and Vic were out. Uh, so there was a ton of minutes to be had at, uh, in, the, in the reserves. Right, so he had five made shots. I think four of them were just like earth-shattering dunks. And he said, and he's right, that those are A, how he plays, right? That, that's, that's inf- that shows how, how he is as a player. He likes to have the emphasis play. He likes to shove it in your face and 
show you how how hard he's going and stuff like that. But B, they change the game more than just a regular basket, right? Not all two points are created equal. Those are momentum point. Those are momentum points for your team. Those are demoralizing for the other team. On and on. And his defense has always been pretty impressive to me. It's not awesome. Like he, you never. He's not ever the best defender on the court for your team, but he also is never the worst defender for your team. He's athletic enough to be an okay team defender. He's strong and aggressive enough to be a good on ball defender. He's just very useful in a lot of situations. So I, I kind of feel like, I mean, I think they'll probably go with Goga just because of his general size, like Jakar. For a power forward, only being 6'7 is totally a hindrance. Maybe not in the modern NBA. Um, but he's tinier, and the Pacers like to have a big guy out there. And I, we are talking about the third center spot in the playoffs, right? When we talk about the replacing for Goga's minutes, we're talking center because the reason he would ever play in, he would never play in the playoffs unless both centers above him are in massive foul trouble. But I think Jakar's made a good case that he should be the guy that gets those minutes just because of the way he plays. He can move in space well. He can move in transition He's a he's a, just more established. He can do more things. He's more versatile. And I think that's really important for this team that lost some versatility in losing Lamb. And he just shows us it every time he's on the court. And uh, when I talk to him, he, his favorite thing to say is, yeah, man, I'm a dog. Like, I'm just going to go hard out there. And he did that um, against the Hornets. You all saw it. You know, if you watched Fox Sports, you heard him say it on his halftime interview. But something I thought was interesting is I talked to Justin Holiday after the game. Um, and with the way the rotation shook out, Justin Holiday was playing the two, but to his own admit, per his own admission, he's the four normally, right? With the bench, it's two guards, McDermott at the three, and Justin Holiday at the four. So I was like, Justin, Jakar filled your spot. How do you think of what he did? How do you like playing with him? And I like he lit up. It was, it was just me and Justin talking. He just lights up right away. He's like, man, I've played with Jakar before this year, and I totally forgot about that. They did play together, I think, in Philly, and uh, on the Bulls last year as well. He just lit up. He said, I love playing with that dude. Like, there are fewer, there are a few guys in, the, like, if I'm picking my squad of five guys in this entire league, there are a few guys I'm picking over him because you're getting aggression. You're getting a guy who is making plays that shift the game substantially and demoralize the other team. Like, you're getting this awesome guy, this awesome player who makes a lot of winning plays that aren't, you know, the flashy ball handling or the jump shots or whatever. They're just key, important plays to win. And I, I never thought I'd hear a guy talk so highly of Jakar Sampson, but Justin Holiday really likes playing with him and has a lot of nice stuff to say about him. So I really think Jakar has made a case. Like I wrote about freeing quote unquote free Jakar Sampson like way earlier in the year about how he. This was when Leaf was in the rotation. I was saying Jakar should play over him. Now when the rotation went to nine guys, yeah, Jakar should probably probably be out of said rotation. But I think in the playoffs, obviously the rotation will be shorter. But if they need five minutes of foul trouble filling in the rotation. I think you should, I think they should go with Jakar over Goga. I think he's that good. I think he can do it. I think he can fight. And I think he's a good player. And I think he deserves a chance to prove himself in the postseason and be the guy that, that we all thought they should go for buyout market or trade deadline time, right? The, the fighting four who gives them more of a puncher's chance than Goga and will make fewer mistakes than Goga. He never puts himself in situations to make negative plays, right? He knows he shouldn't do a ton with the ball. He doesn't. He just passes it or dunks it. <laughs> On defense, he knows when to help and when not to help. I just think he'd be I just think he'd be good for it. And I think he deserves more praise for how well he's done in spot minutes. He's played in under forty percent of the games, but every time he's on the floor, it seems like good things are happening. So Jakar Sampson, first segment of the season, came way too late. He deserves more love for for the performances he gives this team. 
Maybe we'll see him more often with Lamb out. I'm not sure, but that is all for today's show. Should be a fun game tonight, and the Pacers can kind of show if they're getting back on track with a win. We will find out. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at TEastMBA and this podcast at Locked On Pacers. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow.